John Billingsley and Benita Friederici were both in Star Trek Enterprise. Billingsley played Dr. Fox, the CMO for the titular starship, and Friederici played a human scientist who got Borgified in the episode Regeneration. They both also volunteer for the Hollywood Food Coalition, and since this week is Thanksgiving in the United States, I thought it would be a good time to chat with them about Hofoco and Star Trek in general. I'm T. Rick Jones, and this is your Daily Star Trek News. Hey! Hey, John, Bonnie, how are you both? Good, how are you? Good, thank you. Thank you so much for joining me. Absolutely. Um, so, actually, I want to start with a personal question, if I may. You two have been married 30 years? We don't even know. We don't know each other. Uh, 30 years. It only seems like 30 years. No, every moment has been a moment of unalloyed bliss. No, what most, most people don't know is that we're actually cousins. We never were married. Just like to put up this facade. Not that those two things are mutually exclusive <laughs> in 17 states. That's true. But notice, are you wearing your wedding ring? No, my finger got too fat for my ring, so I know where it is. But I on my finger. We have been together for 24 years. We've been married for 22. Uh-huh. And we've been happy for 16. Okay. <laughs> Which 16? Every third weekend we take off. Yeah. Fortunately for you, this is one of the happy weekends. <laughs> I lucked out. You did. Apparently I did too. I didn't know that. Well, you know, you go. you've got to have a system in a marriage. You no, know? gotta have a system. Apparently, only one of us knows the system, so it's got well, a sort of mysterious beauty. That's to it. part of my system. Don't let the misses <laughs> in on the system. I hope that thoroughly answered that question. <laughs> so, how did you two meet? I figured it was too. Prison, like, prison. It was. It was a little stint. We were both doing upstate. Apparently, in the same co-ed prison. Oh, right, co-ed right, prison. right. It's really catching on the idea of a co-ed prison. See how we're not, we don't tend to answer the question asked. Uh, now all I'm thinking about is another skill. I'm, now I'm totally absorbed. That. Yes, so I was in for white collar crime, but Bonnie actually was a heinous offense. How did we meet, Bonnie? My goal is always to allow the interviewer one question and then just make the whole interview answering that one question. But he pulls it right back. But that's because he's lived with me so long, whereas I do spin off into the outer space and then he kind of, yeah, uh, get our paths crossed on multiple occasions. I first laid my, clamped my lamps on John Billingsley uh, in a play called Great Expectations based on the book. He was playing Herbert Pocket, which is a wonderful character. I had gone to see my friend who was playing, who's the lead? Yep. Don McKay. Who was not as good as you. Um, hey, Don, hey. I was better than you were. So I was sitting there with my director friend. She's wonderful. We worked, we worked together a lot. And this was in 1998. Uh, so John popped down on stage and it was like, we both went, who is this guy? Cause you had, you were more recent, uh, recent transplant. I was Seattle. a newbie. Yeah. Yes. And it was like, my God, he's good. And then, uh, this is where the story gets interesting. She came backstage, not just to say hi to me, to say hi to her friend, um, Don. And she, um, thought she'd say hi to me too. And I thought Tom, what a fine actor for my work was. 
She claims that I only had eyes for some blondie and I didn't even give her the time. Some blonde just totally ignoring me, trying to figure out how to go out for a drink and stuff like that. And I'm sort of like, I just wanted to tell you, I, th I thought you were, I, you... So it's possible, you know, that could have been it. That could have been our, our whack and we blew it. But fortunately, our paths we continued to cross. I blew it. Yeah, I don't I remember this happening. didn't blow it, obviously. Bonnie no. frequently tells stories based on a memory she has that I don't have. I will, like, I will okay. point out that if you don't know a person's there because you're fixated on someone else, it's unlikely that you'll ever remember that there was a person there that you did not pay attention. If you like pulled on my shirt, I would have paid attention to you. So. You probably would have hit me. I, I've Who's never seen a soul in my life. Because our paths kept crossing, we bumped into each other at a commercial audition, and they were running way behind. Hours and hours. Hours yeah. and hours. So Bonnie and I essentially had our first date. Um, there was a guy there, Terry Rhodes, the late lamented Terry Rhodes, who kind of served as our um, chaperone in essence. And we gabbed and back and forth and back and forth. And I asked her for her number and she begrudgingly gave it to me. That's not quite true. I, I actually never given anyone my number before, but John looked at me and says he's running away to go out on his date that night. I did he have a date. I had, a, had a date with another lady that so, night. So like I, I met... broke up with that girl the very next morning. <laughs> Oh, try, 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 try. So, I mean, it really was overflowing with human hum, human beings waiting for this audition. Three hours back at a commercial audition was about 60 people. So we were kind of just sitting next to each other and he was fretting because he was going to be late for his date. So I started talking about how I didn't date anymore. I was like 35 or 36 at the time because it just seemed like well, you don't meet people. And, and also you can't trust people when you first meet them. They're trying to behave well. And so I went on and on, and my friend Terry Heavens was for Finn. My friend Terry was laughing because apparently we were flirting the whole time. And uh, I was flirting. I don't know. John came out. He said, "Can I have your your number?" But don't think of it as a date, which I thought was charming. Think of it as I don't know what I was asking you to think of it as, but you're being funny. We went out for lunch two and, days later, and then I asked her to a play, but it was a two part play over two evenings. So basically. Her after the first date for two more dates. We never looked back. I told a friend of mine, Susan Fennishow, uh, after I met Bonnie, I said, I think I met the woman I'm going to marry. You did, you forgot that for about 10 years. Now he remembers it. Uh, like I remembered what he told me. That, yeah, that I didn't was... want to get you a swell head. I there know. was a period of time during a marriage when I was afraid your head was getting too, too big for your own good. It was. I was actually about three times the size of my body. The big so head year. Really... How did you end up auditioning for uh, Star Trek, John? Um, did you, did your agent just call you and yeah, you know, auditions is not like, I mean, we're character people. We've had a nice career. We've worked, we've made some money and all that is heaven, but neither of us are stars. So you don't get offers once in a blue month, but generally speaking, audition gets thrown over the transom and you choose whether you want to do it or not. This was uh, many years ago. I was younger. I was hungrier. I was happy to audition for anything. Uh, the only thing they said was come in with a slight alien accent um i practiced a whole bunch of funny voices with bonnie until she finally got sick of it and said just do this and i did what i did which was kind of like this little east indian lilt but i thought in moments of yeah well i'll, I'll, yes, I'll let you go back to that our friend Dougald actually because we we had just moved in together in an apartment and i was visiting another friend and you know people used to get uh the breakdowns for the parts illegally over their uh their printers 
because so you could check on your agent. And a friend of mine walked out and went, "Oh, this would be a good part for John." She said, "There's like a character on Star Trek. It's a doctor or something like that." And I went, "Oh." And I got home and he said, "Oh, you know, I have this this audition for a, a lead on Star Trek, and you were interested in it." Well, certainly interested. I certainly, although I wasn't necessarily a fan of the show or or a follower, I certainly had my finger on the pulse of the culture. It was like Star. That's seven years. That's like, uh, you know, it was like a part for you too. You know, yeah. The funny thing is, is, he was like slight alien accent. What is that? So you went away and came back with a robot accent. I tried all sorts of. It, it was like I don't stupid things. Then he tried um, from uh, Galaxy Quest. Name one. Get it. Get it. With it. It's like no blatant ripoff. Yeah. And I thought, okay, well, you know, maybe it's just like it, it's it's slight. So let's just do something that sounds a little vaguely foreign, but. In moments, I still don't understand how I got this job because I thought maybe in mo you've heard this story. Everybody's heard this story. It's the only story I ever fucking tell. Uh, in moments of joyous transport, he squawks like a bird on his own planet. He was a bird. I probably even flapped my arms. A I think times. he thought flocks maybe stood for. We were try trying to figure out. We didn't realize it's a plant, so you can't act a plant. No, so I think he was going for bird. I was bird. I thought all right. Okay, I'll do it a bird. And, and it's like, they, they call me in there and I'm the only guy they bring back. So it's like, oh, I guess they like me and I do the bird again. I get the part and I'm thinking I'm a bird, but they don't make me look like a bird. They don't make my face look like a bird. They don't like give me feathers or anything. I keep asking people, am I a bird? I ask Rick and Brandon, am I a bird? They kind of go, and I'm like, well, that's no help. So I show up first day, I'm called in where I have anything to do and we're rehearsing and the director, Jim Conway says, action. And I go, blah, 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 blah. And Jim Conway says, cut, John, quit fucking around, which is how I knew I was not a bird. Uh, they were they were a tight-lipped bunch, I, I will say. You squawked, you were a little annoyed, because not annoyed, but you, you actually squawked at the table read, and no I, one said anything. I squawked at the table read, and after the table read, I turned to Rick and Brandon, and I said, so um, I'm just curious, you know, I, I, I don't, I'm not invested in this, but what do you think? Is this, I mean, this is what I did, nobody said anything, and they did, they were absolutely inscrutable about it maybe they hadn't made up their minds themselves although as i've gotten to build them down the years i think mostly they just like to fuck with you they fucked with me when i auditioned for yeah it. i so i they pretended they didn't know me they turned their backs on wanted to ask you about your audition too bonnie did they were they just like well we should bring in john's wife because you know she's an actress uh and she's great or did you like actively go for the role or did your agent send you in how, how yeah you... i just got a call from my agent and she said they want you to audition for the scientist a scientist on an episode of Star on enterprise and i was like oh, okay i will say um i tend to be nervous anyway i was very nervous to go i had met rick and brandon like at parties but just a little bit you know and you don't want to and you don't talk about yourself being an actor to the executive producers of your husband's show. Just, you don't. Or I don't. Many do. Bonnie. Well, so I worked really, 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 really hard on my audition. <laughs> like, so that I would do it really, 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 really well. And I remember I had to, like, do all sorts of physical stuff. And I met with David Livingston, who directed it. And he was like, yeah, yeah. And he, he said, I'm bringing you back. Um, so, you know, I, I was like, okay. And I had to go in this long hallway that they had, it had like little opera chairs or something like, like little theater chairs. And you had to sort of smush yourself in and there's like nobody else there. There may have been one other person and it was just me. And then Frank came walked by and like, didn't hello to me, didn't acknowledge that they ever knew me and just went in the room and it was kind of like, okay. 
And then I had to go in there. They didn't acknowledge they knew me. They didn't say anything. They're just okay. And I got really nervous. And I thought I kind of didn't. I gave some space. And I thought, oh, I didn't do it as well as I did for you when it was just the two of us. So I went away and I cried. And I said to John, I didn't get it. I'm really embarrassed. Now I'm never going to times my wife came home and said, I didn't get it. I fucked it up. And then she gets it. I would have a small fortune. You'd have about 15 cents. I would have much more than 15 cents. 35 cents. But anyway, it was great. I, you know, they, I got called and they said yes. Where's the picture? Do you have the picture you had about earlier? I want to show them the picture of us with you dressed as a board. Where'd it go? It's upstairs. Oh, that's great. So when uh, Bonnie was borgified, I wanted to go to the set to see. Uh, this is a hard one to see. Yeah. That's that's clear. Uh, I went to the set because I wanted to, because also Bonnie was being killed that day. And so I I had to see that. You know, flying through the air and crash and bang. And I sat behind the camera and said, another take, another take, one more take. So it's just gales of laughter. I, I do know that you were entertaining the makeup and hair ladies back there. Ah, uh, the ladies. Oh, yeah. How long How long did you spend in the chair, in the makeup chair for the Borg makeup? Uh, I ended up five and a half hours because um, she had to redo it. They, and they hadn't done a Borg in a long time. Yeah. And I, this is actually Roxanne Dawson's. They put me in Roxanne's uh, uh, Borg suit, but no one knew how to, they didn't remember how to put them on anymore. Like how different pieces she went. So so long, had to come. Sure. He had to come and show everyone how to do it. And then Suzanne did my makeup, but but Michael Westmore came down and he said, you know, I, I hate to say it, but that's not how the eggshell works because they do that layers to get that eggshell thing. So she had to go back and redo it. So. Oh, wow. Wow. It's a, it's a process. She only had to do it for one episode. I had four years of that. Uh, right. And how long did you have to be in the, in the makeup? Head. Two and a half hours, give or take. And then about five minutes to take it off but like twice a week yes i that's true i was number seven on the call sheet day off day off six days off and the check still come character actor in the sun there's a second verse i never get the second verse oh, oh i'm sorry no. please continue character actor in the sun six days off and the check still come that's a huge verse. Well, so you're, you're lucky there's not, not a third verse. I think yeah. I am. There's not a Dominic third. made sure there was no third verse. He started chasing. Uh, I, I, you know, the only reason I kept singing it is because I knew it irritated Dominic. Irritating Dominic was one of the things that kind of made the whole show fun for me. It was like, how can I irritate Dominic today? It wasn't that hard. It wasn't that hard. No, that's he's somebody who allows himself to get irritated very easily. Yes. I, I like to show up on the days he had to wear the space suit, too, because... That thing was a was a bitch. Weighed a hundred pounds. Extremely uncomfortable. And it cost a hundred thousand dollars for each spacesuit, so they were gonna get their money's worth. Scott, who's like, you know, a rock at Gibraltar and never says, you know, shit about anything. I mean, I shouldn't say he speaks up when he needs to, but he's such a you know trooper. But even Scott had to say, okay, you gotta redesign this spacesuit. It's killing my back, it's killing my neck. I, I, I this is no go. So they had to take it back to the shop and kind of, you know, reinvent it and reconfigure it. And God forbid you had to pee. Because if you had to pee, it took about an hour to get you out of it, pee, and put you back into it. So those days were long. Yeah. And I had to have it, when I had to wear it, it had to be over my rubber head. So that was, 
as I mentioned to Dominic, it's like, yeah, 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 you're not wearing a rubber head, pal. Suck it up. Wow. So in the in the Borg episode that you were both in, you you guys never got any screen time together, which is a little bit disappointing for me because I really wanted to see the two of you acting together. We have had screen time together on a number of other projects, however. We have, had, we have quite the oeuvre, my wife and I. Um, Twelve Dogs of Christmas. Yeah, a really not good Christmas movie for, ch yeah. for children about a town that for absolutely inexplicable reasons banned all the dogs. I was the evil dog catcher. Bonnie was the hairdresser with the heart of gold. I had designs on. We had scenes of that. Oh, right. I forgot. Was we this live action or animated? As live action. Um, there were a lot of dogs. A lot of dogs. Actually, and the, children. the dog trainers arrived in town. We have a lot of stories about 12 Dogs of Christmas. The dog trainers arrived in town. They, you know, good, like, high-class professional dog trainers. After having been told, oh, yeah, it's going to be great. Oh, yeah, we got all sorts of wonderful trained dogs. They arrive in town in Bethel, Maine. And uh, so they're greeted by the producers. It's like, so, dog auditions tomorrow. Um, wait, dog auditions? What, what trained dogs you have? No, no, no. The the dog talent of Bethel is going to show up and you'll have your pick. It's like, you don't understand the difference between a dog that has been trained to work on camera and a mutt that is 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 being hired on the come come line uh, from the town garbage guy. It ain't going to work. We were in a short-lived television series called The Nine together. We were in, yeah. Tom was a series regular or not. He was great. ABC. Um, I was his bitchy wife. We were on, um, what was that movie we did up in, in, in Cleveland? Oh. Mad Town. Oh, with, with Milo. With, with, with uh, Milo with Ventimiglia. Milo Ventimiglia. Um, another movie that, that had its problems. Um, Bonnie and I played... Um, diner um, owners. Big-hearted but beleaguered diner owners. It's, it's sort of take him in. Kind of make Milo our adopted son. We've done, we've done a few things together. I, we love working together. I slapped together. you through a glass table. Oh, if Fear Itself. She, she knocked the shit out of me in Fear Itself. Um, we, love, we love working together. I mean, one wishes it could happen more often. We're not... That was Station 19. We worked together just recently. Oh, we did. Yes, I, uh, we, play, we we owned a, an ice, ice skating skate. rink, and there was a horrible Zamboni accident, and I was trapped on the ice with a runaway Zamboni. Yes, yeah, so he was lying on the ice, and the Zamboni apparently went 40 miles an hour. Yeah, it was like the fastest miles. Zamboni in the so, history of Zambonis. So it was bouncing so off. Firefighters were afraid to go on the ice and, and, and stop the Zamboni. Four teams, strapping firefighters, come running into the ice rink and all stop at the edge of the ice rink. We're cracking it. We're hollering about Zambonis out of control. Careers are very interesting at the end of the day. When you go through, you know, your long list of things, it's like, you're not a star. You're not picking and choosing. It's just, yep, great, great. Yep, yep, great. And some of the things you look back on, you go. Oh, we did heat bad medicine. Oh yeah, bad medicine. I was a man who had breast cancer. It wasn't called bad medicine. Was it? it was called good medicine, and we called it bad medicine because it. And there are actors. It's weird. I, 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 they always irritate the shit out of me. Who sort of like had kind of almost made a, um, you know, a thing over the fact that they don't learn their lines. It's like you know, it's 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 about you know, spontaneity. Spontaneity, or I'll I'll get them on the day, or you know. James Woods notoriously can actually look at his words and know his words. He's got a. Most of us are not similarly gifted, and particularly as you get older, it's you have to drill the motherfucker. And uh, so uh, when you're on a set, and you know, in all seriousness, the crew they're busting their ass 
it's really hard work. When you hold up camera, that always has been a real pet peeve of mine. When an actor holds up camera because they're diva-ish or they're unprepared or they or they behave like a child, it, I find it kind of infuriating. That probably wouldn't have held up on Star Trek. They're they're so, from what I hear, so uh, into say every word exactly the way it's written. Yes, they they take it to the opposite extreme where I think they do themselves a disservice. I think there's a sweet spot in between, which is if you know your words and you know the story, if you drop a, a word or you substitute a word, if you've got the sense of it and it's a good take, don't make a you know federal case of it. It's not, I'm sorry, but it ain't Aaron Sorkin. You know, there are some, there are some writers who, who have more of a right to say, um, excuse me, but there is a the in there and you drop the the still find it irritating but at least you can go oh, Aaron Sorkin when it happened on Star Trek it was like you didn't need the the that's all I dropped the thing that was my favorite is they give you a little at the beginning of each episode you know all the all the gobbledygook words all the words of the alien species they had the pronunciation chart so rigabok was rigabok not rigabok rigabok so it's like you know if, if the accent wasn't right they go rigabok rigabok and it was mostly Linda's problem. Yeah, I was going to say, I sort of remember because she didn't oh, talk in all those dialogues. Poor Linda. Yes, that was, she was the unsung hero for having to do all the gobbledygook. Actually, I, one thing I wanted to talk to you about was from the from the second episode, Phlox was basically her mentor through mm -hmm. the through the series. Was that something that they had always planned or were, did that sort of develop when they saw the chemistry you and, uh, you and she you never. You never really know. I mean, I I would say this is just speculation. They knew that they were hiring. They, they knew that the part was supposed to be somebody who was more tentative and a little more concerned about what she was getting into. So clearly they knew they were going to be moving her into a into an arc where she'd have to get over some of her trepidation. Whether they thought that I could be a mentor figure to her or not, I don't know. I, I mean, I will say this, and I know, you know, and all kidding aside, Rick and Brandon, you know, one, they gave me a job for which I'm forever grateful, and two, they were very gracious and courteous to me. I know that in subsequent conversations with them, they both expressed some unhappiness that they had basically been forced into production prematurely. They really wanted to take some time off and think very deeply about the next show's Bible. So I don't know if the Bible for our show was as strong as it needed to be, which is, I think, maybe one of the problems we had in our first year. But to me, although I enjoyed the show, I enjoyed certain episodes of the show, I did feel that some of the problem was that, to me, the concept, which is first show. Ah! You know, the transporter, we're scared of it. The weapons malfunction. Things blow up. I would have wanted us to go further in the direction of clusterfuckedness. You know, I think it would have been interesting if there was overlapping dialogue, if they really try and kind of like break the whole pattern of how Star Trek in its cleanness is performed. If the there's an episode that to me, I always tell the story because I thought it was so, you know, indicative. We, we weren't supposed to get the first drafts. I would peek at the uh, hair guy's first draft, so I'd know mostly whether I was going to be in the next episode. And in this episode, we do have to transport somebody. We transport them back from the surface. In the first draft, his head is where his ass should be. Jesus fucking Christ! By the time we get the shooting script, there's like a little twig sticking out of his ear. Oh, ow! And I cut it off with my pair of scissors. That, to me, was indicative of what they did wrong. 
they didn't trust the danger of it enough to me, you know. I mean, in contemporary television these days, they'd kill off a series regular in the first season. John would come home in early on and say things. I mean, he had hoped, I believe, for Dr. Flox to not be able to have a hypospray, yeah. for instance. Yeah, I, I wanted to leech the motherfuckers. Just like leeching time. And, and I, but there, there again, to me, that was like, you know, go all the way with that. Make him like, you know, like... Your stupid modern contemporary medical practices. No, 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 no. Drink this. Okay. And now while you drink this, I'm going to pull your weenie. Okay. And squeeze and done. But instead it was like hypospray. You got cancer, you're cured. Hypospray. And I get it. It's 38 minutes long. The episode, they have to move fast. Did you guys have to research the Borg before you did that episode that both of you did? I watched First Contact because I needed to understand where this was coming from and i enjoyed that quite a bit and he, yes i actually this gentleman over here louis 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 he he um was like the quintessential borg guy i mean he he was had been a borg a bit uh so he taught me how to walk like a borg and move like a borg um and i was called the baby borg because I was incredibly short for a Borg. The littlest Borg. I'm five foot three. So it was like, Borgs aren't five foot three, but that's okay. So let's talk about uh, Hollywood Food Coalition. Tell me what it is and tell me how you got involved. Sure, it's almost 40 years old. It started as a street service for people experiencing homelessness centered around a nightly multi-course hot meal with um, the additional benefit of the organization has always tried to provide ancillary services for folks, shoes, socks, sleeping bags, laundry vouchers, bus passes, hooking people up to other social service organizations for housing or mental health treatment, yada, yada. Bonnie and I started volunteering um, about six or so years ago. We went in to make a fruit salad and wash dishes, la, 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 and we met the person who ran the show named Sherry Bonanno. She needed help. It was a $100,000 budget, no paid staff. And we kind of dug in. So we kind of split what we considered to be the primary things that we thought we could offer by way of help. I volunteered to help restructure or grow the board and to start thinking about strategic planning and bringing the entire community of supporters together to kind of figure out whether or not there was a, a future that was bigger. Um, still doing the same thing, but how do we make a bigger, you know, a bigger splash in the community? And Bonnie started rescuing food. We'll talk about that. Well, I mean, a lot of what happened to us when we started volunteering at this organization is is that it was all volunteer. It was very small, but it was feeding around 150 to 200 people in need at in, in a location they knew to go to where they could get a sit-down meal where people would talk to them and, as John said, provide information and ancillary things. All volunteers doing this, but it was every single night of the week, every day of the year, which is extraordinarily unusual. Most places feed Monday through feed people Monday through Friday or on the weekends or once a week. That idea, and that's we started to learn what the the zeitgeist of this organization was, and a lot of it is Sherry with Sherry Bonanno. But this idea that every human being should be have the right to eat at yep. least once a day, that you should have the dignity of choice. If you're a vegetarian or vegan, you should not have to eat meat. But if you need meat, you should be able to get meat. It should be healthy. You should have access to fruits and vegetables and things like that. That some, You should have something to drink, that there should be consistency so that you know there's a place you can go to where you can and rely on it. 
And so we thought we need more food because, you know, this is a huge burden and the organization was struggling to get had no money. So it's all donated food. So Bonnie put together something that we called the pickup artists, which was about 40 to 50 folks who were willing to go around to studios and pick up food from TV and film shoots. And she generated so much wonderful food coming in that we started to need to share it with friends and neighbors, other groups. Out of that came something called the exchange. We share now about 3 million pounds of food a year with about 150 other organizations to help buttress and augment their meal programs. Um, we've been, you know, this has changed our life. We feel like we are uh, expanding now to the point we can build our own home, which is wonderful. We can eventually provide a sit-down meal, a restaurant-style meal for people experiencing homelessness while working with some of our other community partners to kind of solve issues that only collaborators can solve. Like, how do you bring more refrigeration online? How do you bring more pickup and delivery online? How do you bring more storage space online? How do you identify more and more communities in need? I, and transportation is huge too. Getting food to people is not, is so random and hard in part because it expires. It goes bad. It's got time limitations. It's very hard to move rotting food. You've got to, you know, to, to find out, oh, you have, 15 pallets of extra food because people didn't pick up, you know, from your, your chain. Now, what are you going to do with it and get it out there to the people? Um, uh, also, uh, I think realizing, I think because of the pandemic, all these organizations and a lot of people uh, in the city started understanding that you can't really do much for people if they don't eat. That the bottom line is, is you're not going to get up and want to get a service or try to get your ID or even understand what someone is talking about unless your head is clear and you're not starving. And so it begins with feeding people. It's Maslow's pyramid, pyramid of need. It's like, you know, you need, you need some things every day. You need to eat. You need to be able to go to the bathroom. You kind of need to, you know, health and wellness comes first before you're going to enter a drug and alcohol rehabilitation program, before you're going to think about getting a job before you're gonna kind of get back on your feet again. So we start from this place of what do we do best? We do food and we use food as an instrumentality to help other organizations do what they're doing better. It's funny, I, we also have sort of like, it's a lunch bag program now, but 470,000 lunch bags in two years later, I mean, it's a, 13 communities around the city are now making lunch bags, families, it's. 400, 500, 600 families making lunch bags that are beautiful. They're painted, they're decorated. They've got tons of food in them. They drop them off to us on Sundays. We share them with organizations all over the city, particularly ones that do outreach and go into encampments. But I can say from, from I'll do, we'll be doing it tomorrow, giving out the lunch bags, people will come up and ask, uh, unhoused people will come up and, and ask for something to eat. In the last few months, two gentlemen, we were able to get them an ambulance and get them to the hospital and get them treated. It started with them standing there saying, could I please just have something to eat? And it's like, yeah, what would you like? Would you like a ham sandwich, a turkey sandwich? Would you like peanut butter and jelly? And then you start a conversation. There is an unfortunate, and I think it's the nature of our political climate, there is an unfortunate desire to be punitive towards people. You know, it's like, you know, if we can punish them into acting the way we want them to act, that's the way to do it. So let's deny them shit. Let's actually be mean to them. Let's, you know, scared straight. Uh, our organization operates from a different posture, which is like, be kind, be generous, be gracious, be human, and be there every night. Be there every night. Reliability, consistency, and compassion. Um, it means the world to us. Um, 
and and you know so you didn't ask but i'm going to jump in what we we've turned it from a you know we haven't it's a huge amount of people have pulled together we are now almost a if you count the value of the donated food we are now a five million dollar a year organization um we have all sorts of different ways we try and fundraise one of the things that i started to do with david livingston was to do something called trek talks we did it last year it's a six hour this year an eight hour digital jerry lewis-esque telethon on zoom to raise money and awareness we asked star trek celebs to volunteer every single person we asked last year said yes so we had 50 to 60 wonderful folks from all different uh, aspects of Star Trek, from the actors to the directors to the showrunners to the technicians, the musicians, you name it. We had six or so hours of panels. We talked about the Hollywood Food Coalition. We made $80,000. So we're doing it again this year with the hope of expanding the take. And it's going to take place on January 14. And if you're listening, trektalks, T-A-L-K-S, dot net is the place to go to find out about it and to be linked to the Hollywood Food Coalition if you would care to donate in advance of the event or learn more about the Hollywood Food Coalition. That's great. And do you do you have a lineup yet? Do you know who's going to be involved? Uh, I know some of the people. We've got yeses from John Delancey and Brandon Braga and Bob Picardo. Um, uh, I think Will Wheaton. Um, we usually put the, uh, usually last year and, and this year, if you put the asks out months in advance, it kind of doesn't, you know, it's like, yeah, sure. We wanted to kind of have, uh, you know, um, a little bit of a later process this year. So we did a lot of pre-planning. The asks are just going out now. So in another week, we should be able to turn around to the world and say, we have got, and that's kind of when we'll begin to do our, you know, da-da-da-da-da-da in the Star Trek. It's sponsored by um, Trek, Trek. Trek Geeks. Trek Geeks. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Bill, Smith, was... Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. And I should plug all of it because it's a really wonderful team. The Sci-Fi Sisters are involved. Wonderful guy named Jay Stobie, who's uh, um, a writer. You know, Jay? The great John Champion from uh, Rockberry Productions. Uh, my colleague, David Livingston. Bonnie Gordon is new to the team this year. The wonderful Bonnie Gordon. Um, and our staff, Linda Piani Gianni and Asher Landau, who are the uh, development directors for Hollywood Food Coalition. So we we are now in you know our our ten person team meets every other week, and we're kind of you know getting into high gear. Now let me backtrack just briefly because I had wanted to ask you how big is the homelessness um, problem in Los Angeles. There's so many different metrics and there's so many different windows through which you can look at this problem in terms of number of people who are actually living on the streets, uh, probably somewhere between 55 and 65,000. There's an annual homeless count every year that does a pretty good job of getting an accurate read on that. I would say that, you know, there are another batch of people who are experiencing homelessness, but who are sleeping, for instance, couch surfing, sleeping in, in automobiles. And the bigger issue really has to do with the nature of what is um, an urbanization problem. Mm. If you consider what it takes to live in Los Angeles, Los Angeles is the most expensive city in the country when you consider what it costs to domicile yourself. It takes almost 50% of the median income to actually get a roof over your head. 
one of the biggest problems is not so much homelessness as you know which is unfortunately what happens homelessness as a measure of people's um mental illness living on the streets makes you mentally ill you get ptsd it's a terrifying experience what happens is people who are simply unable to live in a world in which it's too expensive for the skill sets they have to put on the job market they end up sliding and another thing that I consider as a metric that we are not paying enough attention to, a friend of ours is a school teacher. If you've got 40 kids in a class and those kids have different backgrounds, different educational capacities, different kinds of parenting structures, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you are probably going to have a class of people who don't learn much. And if you graduate a bunch of people from high school who don't have job skills, who don't have an education in a really tough market, many of them are not going to be able to make, make a living and many of them are going to turn to drugs. So when we talk about homelessness, in my opinion, one of the problems we have is we talk about homelessness as if it is a problem. The problem has to do with the, na the nature of a society that doesn't invest in its fundamental human infrastructures. Homelessness is a symptom. We deal with the symptoms. Other than attending Trek Talks and giving, giving money for Trek Talks, how can people help, whether if they're local um, as opposed to, you know, around the world or how, how just anybody help? I have two, I have a two part answer to that. Bonnie chime in. If you're local, we, we have had tens of thousands of volunteers help out. And I think it's one of the things I love about the organization. When people volunteer to help out and they get their hands dirty, they kind of, it changes the nature of the way they relate to the world and to the city. You can come in and cook. You can come in and serve. You can come in and help rescue food. You can come in and work at our exchange space which is where the food gets stored, processed, sent out. You can come in on Sundays and work in our sack lunch Sunday distribution program. You can consider getting more involved at the macro level, you know, which for me meant I eventually became the board president. I started out making fruit salad, and then I became the board president. Anything can happen in America. But this is my big answer to that question. There are a whole bunch of people who are going, why am I helping out the Hollywood Food Coalition? I don't live in Los Angeles. I agree. But you have something that you can do in your hometown, in your home city that can make a difference. I kind of think it's like a little dial we have. Your dial up, dial down button that has to do with, you know, how much you want to give back. Everybody's doing something. It's just about whether or not you feel like you could dial that up a little bit. There probably, there are a lot more organizations, I think, than people realize that are doing an awful lot of good. I mean, I know it's for some people, and that's kind of how we ended up at the Hollywood Food Coalition. It was trying to plug people into help volunteer. You know, it felt like the world was in trouble. But, you know, it's like, but I don't know where to volunteer. I don't know what place is a good place to volunteer. And people want experience. They want to know what they should or shouldn't do. And then I'd say jumping in. I just jumped in at the Hollywood Food Coalition because a friend of mine guilted me into it. And it was it was great, you know. And the thing is, is that through work, working at the, with the Hollywood Food Coalition, I have met and worked with 50, 60, 70 different organizations that are providing all different kinds of, of things to people. And they're wonderful people doing wonderful things with great hearts. And they're everywhere. And it's sort of what your passion is. Is it environmentalism? Is it refugees? Is it, um, you know, I, I don't know why for us it became helping people who are poor. But that's sort of it's where it hit our sweet spot. 
I would say start in your community, do some Googling, do some volunteering. LA Works. I don't know uh, if you look up LA Works, that's one that they make lunch bags for us, but they have all these volunteer opportunities and I get emails from them. And I actually, one was, would I want to tutor? Would I want to do some, some tutoring? And it was like, you know, I should really think about that. That would be amazing. Yeah. People can go to take things into the prison system. You know, I, I had a theater company we used to do shows in the prison. That was incredibly rewarding. But here's another something related to food. Bonnie and I, when we worked for another organization many years ago called the AIDS Service Center, uh, we did this a, a few times is we called all our pals and we said, hey, pals, would you be willing to donate two or three bags of food to the food pantry associated with the AIDS Service Center? And on the basis of who said yes, we created a list. And that next morning, we just drove around all over town. We loaded up the car and we dropped all that food off. And if you get the right place the right food pantry ask them if they take things like milk and butter and meat and vegetables the things you don't get donated enough it's a way that you can periodically without having to join an organization you can periodically participate in helping to keep your local food pantry stocked with really good food by enlisting your pals you could do the same thing with toys you can yeah. do the same thing with books There's clothing a, you can check out the website hangout do good H-O-D-G, they're Hodge. And that's where that's what started the, the group that started making the lunch bags for us that now have ended up being 470,000. But um, they have political stuff that you can engage in, uh, all sorts of different phone banking and things uh, and postcarding if you if you're if that's something you like. But they do just good works for people. But they just came up on with them on their own. It's it, you know, they just it, they're not a nonprofit. They're just hang out, do good. That was they just want to hang out and do good but they do um uh groceries they get groceries for people in need of groceries they and they drop them off at a particular site and people can get their groceries from there and they they do clothing mobiles i mean they, they just reach out and say hey how can we support what you need people it's very interesting this guy named robert putnam many years ago wrote this book called bowling alone and one of his concerns at the time was that people weren't as plugged into their communities as they you know were forced to be in a simpler time when you were born into the world and the expectation you was going to be in a bowling league bridge club pta church group whatever now we sit in front of our computers a lot we're more atomized i think the idea of getting people together to work together on something that kind of excites you and there's so many different ways that you start with your pals you start with your friends and you get their friends Throw a brunch, throw a lunch, throw a party, come together and say, hey, we're going to raise money, pass the hat for one particular charity. Ask one person to come and talk about that charity and share literature. It's a way to learn, feel like you're giving back and have a party at the same time. You know, I love the Hollywood Food Coalition, don't get me wrong. And if you'd like to contribute, hofoco.org or trektalks.net. But... The bigger point for me is always doing more is not about finding like, you know, it's not making the perfect the enemy of the good. It's saying, I can do more. You can clean up the park on your own. Just do, can you do a little bit more? I, I kind of think we're like on a rope line, you know, it's like a tug of war between people who are trying to do good and people who, for reasons I do not understand, are bound to determine to fuck it up for everybody. There are a lot of people in this world who seem like all they really want to do is foment hatred and hostility based on race, based on based on religion. It's like, fuck you. You know, I think if you're on the right side of the rope and you're pulling, you don't have to do it all the time. But but every now and again, get on the rope and figure out what that means locally. I was speaking to uh, Bill and Dan. 
they had me on their podcast last, you know, year and a half or so ago. And they said Jonathan Frakes had done something for um, Feeding America, just him. And it made $5,000. And I said, you know, maybe we could do a bigger version of that with multiple guests for a Hollywood Food Coalition, see if we can come, you know. So it, it was Jonathan Frakes that kind of gave me the idea. And, and one of the panels we have on Trek Talks is called Trektivism. And it's a panel that's about how you get involved. And so Jonathan and Armin and Kitty, you know, Kitty who had pancreatic cancer, they speak about their work. Um, we've had, um, oh, oh, help me, I'm spacing. Um, that wonderful, wonderful woman who does the anti-bullying. Yeah, cat. She was on Deep Space Nine. Yeah. Chase, Chase Masterson. Masterson. Chase Masterson. Chase Masterson. She has a wonderful, wonderful charity that is anti-bullying, and she's gotten this curriculum devised. Pop, I think it's Pop Hero. Pop Culture yeah. Hero Coalition. She takes it into the schools and into educational settings, and it's all about, hey, you know, these heroes, a lot of them faced bullying, and they transcended, and they rose above, and look what you can do. You can be a hero, too. It's lovely, and she's devoted her life to this. And, and she, to me, is a shining exemplar of what it means to kind of like rejigger yourself to be something, you know, that is that is different. I, you know, I mean, I was an actor. Bonnie's an actor. I love acting. Don't get me wrong. But this work animates me more than acting does on a certain level. You know? and, and it's so much of what Star Trek is about, which, you know, I mean, to me is the other point of Trek Talks is... It, 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 I mean, the whole point of, of track talks is of track is imagining a universe in which we can do better, in which we can transcend, in which we can learn how to get along. And I, I do think pulling the community together along those values is, you know, part of fulfilling the mission of Star Trek. John Billingsley, Bonnie Friederici, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been. Oh, a he, said, he, he said your name correctly. I did notice that. Thank you so <laughs> did much. Did I? Oh, good. Nobody <laughs> does that. That's why she married me. I was the only person she'd ever dated to pronounce her last name. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Have a great, have a great weekend, guys, and I will talk to you again sometime. Bye bye. Bye. bye.